0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone, a Kingkiller Chronicle reread podcast.
1: We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it.
0: Welcome to Tales from the Waystone season 2, episode 15. You just fell for one of the classic blunders where we will be looking at chapters 25 and 26 of The Wise Man's Fear. Through the lens of underestimating your opponent.
1: Yeah, so, okay, one real quick thing. I just have to address something. You are the one that names things. I want to tell you that we now have two episodes called A Simple Plan.
0: Do we have another one called You Just Fell For One of the Classic Blunders? I
1: don't think so. But that's not the point. (laughs) Anyway, let's go on. All right, as usual... Each week, we will be examining a section of the wise man's fear through a chosen lens and figuring out what we can take from the text and apply to our real lives. We will also take some time to explore models of practical wisdom from the text with a nurse's healing for the of the week. After that, we will expand our understanding of our own world with an interesting fact, and then we will share a recommended thing of the week. Finally, we will wrap things up with seven words from the book and seven words from our own lives. Before we begin, let's get some disclaimers out of the way. First of all, we are in no way affiliated with Patrick Rothfuss or his publisher, Daw Books. Second of all, our discussions naturally assume that either A, you've already read the main books, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear, as well as the other novellas and short stories and such, or you're one of those weird folk that doesn't mind spoilers.
0: Finally, a word to our community. Be kind to yourselves, one another, and the creators of the worlds we love exploring. With that, I believe it's time for us to do our 45-second recap. It's your turn this week. We go ahead and uh, get the timer up.
1: A lot happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, we did three chapters today, so... No, we didn't. We did two. 25, 26, and 27. We did not do 27. We didn't do 27? We didn't
1: do 27.
0: Then I did a whole lot of extra reading.
1: We didn't do 27. I I fold down the pages when we discuss what we're going to do. And I folded it down at the beginning of 27 because that's next time's okay i mean if you really want me to i can read 27 but i didn't think it fit
0: no that's fine we can just do 25 and 26 and call it good oops 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 all right in three two one go
1: Quoth explains to us, the audience, what a gram is and why he needs it, magical armor to ward off malfeasance and all that. He, quote, casually asks Kilvin for the schema and is told no firmly enough that he gives up on that avenue and turns instead to a fence that both prices him out and tells Quoth and therefore us, the audience, just how dangerous our favorite pixie-faced galet actually is. But he does provide Quoth with a crossbow in exchange for goods our boy has procured from stocks. Fella then helps Quoth search the archives for a scrap or two of the schema, and they still come away with empty hands. After this crushing defeat, Quoth visits Davy, and now we get to the show don't tell portion of the evening, as Davy gives Quoth and us a clear example of why no one should fork with her.
0: Oh, there is raspberries in your future. Oh. Forty-seven point two seconds.
1: Ah.
0: <laughs> I know, right? You would have been screwed.
1: <laughs> I mean, I already am screwed. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Right.
0: right, listeners. Uh, uh. All right, listeners. No. You know what time it is. I need all your raspberries.
1: No. Also, no. Um, no. Because we're probably going to have to film this before everyone can uh, inflict their own version of pain on me. Unless you guys want to wait two months. Do you want to wait two months?
0: Do you want to wait two months?
1: Kinda, because then you might forget. (laughs) Did anyone already suggest anything to you?
0: No, but I'm going to be at New Seasons this afternoon. I might see what I can find.
1: Hmm... So, I'll tell you what someone suggested to me for you for cherries. Go on. Maybe I shouldn't, but they suggested a Danish with, like, cherry filling.
0: A raspberry Danish would be quite tasty. I'd split that with you.
1: I'd give 99% of it to you.
0: No, yeah, you have to have half of it. I mean, I wouldn't want to spare you the pleasure.
1: I don't make you eat that much. Sure, I can't. What? Yes. No!
0: Other option is I could do like a Krispy Kreme raspberry jelly-filled donut.
1: Only if you get me a delicious one along with it. I might. That's because you love me. And we have now made the entire audience vomit. As you pat my hand gently. Which no one could see because this is a podcast.
0: Yep, audio, medium, and all that.
1: Anyway... Let's get into it.
0: <laughs> this episode is absolutely chock-a-block full of Quoth completely underestimating the people that he's going up against. Yeah. Whether that is Sleet or Davey or even Fella for that matter. He's not only underestimating his opponents, he's also underestimating his friends. And also literally everyone else <laughs> that he ever comes in contact with. So it starts off with Quoth figuring that the solution to his problem is a gram. And then he goes on to explain this thing that we've never actually heard mentioned before by that name.
1: It is worth noting that this is different from the Gilder that Abanthi has at the beginning of The Name of the Wind. Insofar as that was kind of like a graduation mark, almost like your diploma.
0: It's the equivalent of getting a watch for your graduation.
1: Yeah, except this particular watch can keep people from, I don't know, magically beating you up the way that Quoth has been magically beaten up over the last couple chapters.
0: I'd take it. So, after Quoth has described the idea behind what a Gram is, he talks with Kilvin and decides to ask, Hey, Kilvin, any way I can get one of these?
1: Kilvin is like, No. And I don't know about you. But every time that there's Kilvin spots in the book and I'm reading it, I read it in the same voice as the audiobook.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> I also love how anytime Quoth asks about something that might involve viewing someone in anything less than a positive light, Kilvin says, "Why would you need such things in this environment?"
1: <laughs> Do you not trust your fellow students? At which point Quoth should go, "No, here's my proof." and pull down his shirt and show them the just the random bruises and crap.
0: I mean, heck, he did get accosted in the alleyway by a bunch of thugs who'd been hired by someone to rough him up and or kill him. He already can say, hey, I have plenty of reason to suspect people don't like me, and yeah, I'd like to feel safe. He wouldn't even have to bring up this latest thing.
1: That wouldn't actually prevent him from getting, you know, beaten by someone's fist.
0: Oh, no, but this also means that he knows that people of wealth and power who could afford to go after him through arcane means could do so. And, yeah, he might want a little extra protection.
1: I mean, you could also bring up the plumb bob. Like, there's all these things if he would just talk to an adult.
0: But that's just not Kvothe's style.
1: Right, because what are adults except for, you know, scolds and, like, shut up, kid, you're bothering me.
0: Adults just don't understand, man. <laughs> he also ends up requisitioning himself a private workroom, as well as permission to access precious metals from the stocks. And this is where we start to see a parallel plot forming in Quoth's mind that he is not yet going to reveal to us, but it's clearly working. It feels sort of like the prestige, where we have the thing that we're supposed to be looking for, which is the Gram, the thing that's going to protect Quoth from magical harm. But he's also working in parallel on this other project, which will become known as the Bloodless, eventually.
1: The arrow catch before that.
0: Which will be a way to protect people from mundane harm.
1: True. But in the process, he also does something that will royally piss off Kilvin in procuring a crossbow. And not telling Kilvin.
0: Kilvin, I think, is probably going to be more upset by the not telling aspect than the procuring of a crossbow. Kilvin strikes me as the sort who would probably enjoy the opportunity to go play with a crossbow, but just doesn't <laughs> necessarily want people to leave him out of the fun.
1: That's yeah, fair. I think you're right. Well, I love this exchange just because there's also the question of, is something going to explode? And no judgment... Like, that's not the problem. It's, what floor do I put you on?
0: (laughs) you got to figure that that's just par for the course for Kilvin. Like, he's pretty familiar with the artificiary. I mean, they just had the great big fire with the bone tar. He knows the kind of materials they work with, and even the most careful of students and masters, for that matter, can still have accidents.
1: I also love the, how much breathing will you be doing? (laughs) Instead of saying, how big of a place do you need? And then Kelvin is now just gleeful about this surprise that this prize student, who really hasn't actually produced very much because all he's doing is just, you know, deck lamps. He really wants to see what this kid with all the potential could actually do. He's excited. He's looking forward to it. And the suspense and the surprise are part of it. And he just... Blindly trusts that Quoth is going to do something awesome.
0: I can see why he's doing this. This is an investment for him. He took a chance early on. He was one of the few people who spoke up in Quoth's favor when Quoth had literally nothing.
1: But then Quoth does the thing that Quoth always does and betrays the trust like that.
0: Yeah. Trust is not something that Quoth is used to. But here's Kilvin taking a chance on him.
1: Yeah, I love Kilvin. Anyway, to continue on, Quoth leads us down this road of like, I could ask Minette, but Minette's probably just as scared, if not more scared, of being expelled from his home. So, fence?
0: Yeah, so he goes to talk with Sleet, who's sort of the local underworld figure at the university, or at least what passes for an underworld.
1: Apparently was a student, has gotten expelled multiple times, comes back, earns money by procuring and selling items of questionable intent.
0: And perhaps unconventional provenance.
1: And we get this posturing kind of almost war dance between him and Quoth of, well, what have you heard about me?
0: I love how they have their competing nonchalant shrugs. And of course, Quoth thinks that his nonchalant shrug was the most amazing one ever.
1: And he compares himself to a cat. I mean, we've also compared him to a cat, but not as flatteringly (laughs) as he
0: does. It's also worth noting that this is not the only time in this chapter he's compared to a cat. In fact, Sleet, the fence, describes Quoth as proud as a kicked cat which is to say, full of righteous indignation and fury that the world has dared to besmirch him.
1: It shows that Quoth is easily baited, which we already knew. And ultimately, like, all of this posturing is another one of those red herrings towards getting his schema. And then that lurch of, like, 30 talents to get it, and the bottom drops out of Quoth's everything.
0: Here's what it really boils down to. Kvothe is being confronted with the Iron Triangle. You can have things fast, cheap, or good pick two. And Kvothe is saying, but I want all three.
1: I didn't expect it to be that expensive.
0: I'm only asking for one of the more restricted secrets of the university. And magic at large. I'm just asking for that, and it shouldn't cost that much.
1: It should be attainable, right?
0: As if this is something that... Sleet just kind of has lying around on a shelf in the back. You know?
1: It's not like it's a crossbow. Right.
0: Oh, oh, let me go check in the back.
1: Right. There is no the back. All your inventories in the front.
0: I remember working at the grocery store and you'd always get people who'd ask you, well, I know there's none on the shelf, but can you just go check in the back to see if you've got some?
1: Yeah, because we have an entire grocery store full in the smaller part of the
0: grocery store. Right. And yeah, there's just going to be some of that stuff sitting in the back as if we wouldn't have just immediately shelved it on there as soon as there was an opening.
1: The whole point of the back room is to get stuff out of the back room.
0: Right. As if we didn't have armies of people scouring the area, looking for holes and then facing them with stuff from the back.
1: If you have stuff from the back... I mean, if you've just gotten a shipment and it's Tuesday, sure.
0: You're putting it out there as quick as possible because you don't want it sitting in the back.
1: Right. That's how things get lost.
0: Do you think that the store just kind of has them hidden away back there for all their employees to go, oh, yeah, this is mine. I'm saving this one. It's in the back. Actually,
1: employees of grocery stores get in trouble for putting their groceries away, like shopping in the morning and then putting their stuff like in the cooler.
0: I remember that. Uh Uh-huh. No, Sleet does not have just a schema in the back.
1: (laughs) Well, so all of this leads into, all right, so I need to know if you're in debt to anyone else. Oh, just Davey. Nope, 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 I'm out.
0: (laughs) Sleet at this point basically realizes, oh yeah, this kid's in way over his head.
1: (laughs) All I have in my head is just the little like Muppet things that are nope, 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 nope. He's about to get up and leave because he's just like, nah.
0: He's doing a little bit of a credit check here. He's like, okay, so if I were to ask you for a favor, first of all, I got to make sure you don't know anybody else because I'm not dealing with any of that. I do not want to have to deal with you having to deal with a conflict because that's going to mean I'm not going to get my favor.
1: It could mean that, yeah.
0: Quite probably. And second of all, when he discovers that the person that it's with is Davey,
1: uh-uh. We get a whole lot of this tell-don't-show We have been told multiple times that Davey is like the devil. We have been told things that Quoth just doesn't see. And Quoth is reticent to believe anyone that isn't him and trust anyone else's opinion. And it's kind of like, so while I went to a school that I have told everyone over and over again, there were 80% guys and then non-binary folk and women made up the other 20%. I, personally, was never the subject of any sexism that I could really see. My teachers respected me. I was older than a lot of the other students, and so a lot of them didn't really treat me like I was a 19-year-old girl. I also don't present terribly feminine, and I think that that might be part of why I got more flack for the design program that I had chosen to go through, which... Was pure design as opposed to can code a lot and design a bit. And that's really the only kind of pushback that I really got. But just because I didn't see it and it wasn't directed at me does not mean that there was absolutely no sexism in my school. A lot of my friends who are girls, and I think I've talked about one specifically who I adore because she was at this school full of dudes with the pinkest backpack fuzzy pens all of the stuff that you would associate with a teenage girl and she owned it and she is an amazing designer and she stood up to all of the bs that could be thrown at her and i will always be proud of her but just because it wasn't directed at me and i didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't exist and that i couldn't acknowledge it or be on her side. And in this particular case, everyone everyone is telling Foth, Hey, hey, Davy will fork f- you up. And he's just going, nah, nah. I don't see it.
0: But she's nice to me. Right. And it's that distinction between nice and safe. Those are two very different things. I mean Good and safe are two very different things for that matter, too.
1: It's kind of like Sokka is a perfectly safe cat to be around. He's very friendly. And then occasionally, if he's riled up and you try to touch, like, his belly or something, or if he presents it like a trap and you try to touch it, he'll bite you.
0: I mean, granted, that's cats in general.
1: Right. And so while I would be perfectly comfortable... With Leela being around a two year old, I would not necessarily be willing to have Sokka unsupervised around a two year old. First of all, he's the size of a two year old. Second of all, he bites occasionally.
0: I think also part of it is Kvoth is judging Davy by her appearance and not actually seeing her for the person that she is. I mean, the warning signs are all there.
1: She reminds me of my friend that I talked about. You screw with her, she'll come at you.
0: Quoth doesn't seem to have done the math to figure out how this supposedly innocent pixie-ish little girl who is completely harmless...
1: Who is older than him.
0: Who is older than him. Whatever. But he doesn't think about how did this slip of a girl become one of the most feared and respected loan sharks in the city... When there are a whole bunch of people who are ostensibly more dangerous looking, who could easily take her place at any point if they theoretically had the power to do so. It wasn't because she was nice. It wasn't because she was perfectly harmless. It wasn't because any of that. She had to take her spot by force. He just hasn't done the math.
1: Well, other revelations in the conversation just that we should probably talk about are that Sleet is the person that procured the people that did go beat both up in the alley physically at the behest of Ambrose. I mean, they all but admitted this
0: though. I do love how Quoth assumes that people whose entire business is having discrete business relationships will make an exception for him.
1: Right? So either they'll make an exception for him and do business with him. That is more beneficial to him than they would for other people who, I don't know, have money, or that they're so untrustworthy that they would tell him what they've done for other people.
0: There's sort of a criminal brotherhood that both assumes, but doesn't understand. He thinks that he's in on it, but he really isn't. And there are codes that these people have to live by in order to be able to do their business. Like, so Davy sells trust. She does not give away her clients because if she does so, she knows that it's bad for her business. And Quoth assumes that she'll just make exceptions for him.
1: Because she likes him.
0: No, it has nothing to do with it. It's in her interest for her to project the appearance that she likes him. And it's in her interest for Quoth to believe that she likes him. But ultimately... He's just dumb. He's incredibly dumb.
1: Well, all this results in sleep gets a crossbow procured and dumped in a trash bin for quoth quoth assuming it will take less than 2 hours and then trying to prove his cleverness by knowing that he's being overcharged and then trading 3 talents worth of stuff he stole from stocks for this thing that Kilvin would never want him to have well okay to be fair he didn't ask <laughs> quote, would never want him to have.
0: He assumes Kilvin would never want him to have.
1: And Sleep just going, I'll get it to you in 15 minutes, why do you underestimate me?
0: You think it's that hard?
1: It's just a crossbow, dude.
0: He's got him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Not like this is a schema for a grammar or anything. No, it's just a little bit of mundane contraband.
1: Well, next, one more attempt at finding the schema
0: this represents probably the only smart thing that quoth does in this chapter which is to say he asks fella for help
1: right because fella is smart works in the archives willing to help him owes him a favor
0: honestly i kind of get the sense that because fella considers quoth a friend not just someone she owes a favor to she probably would do this just as something to do for a friend
1: and honestly, I think that she does have a crush on him based on the behaviors. But I also think that this is the beginning of him pushing her towards Sim, which I think is a much better relationship.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, let's face it. We all know that Quoth is a trash fire when it comes to relationships.
1: We could have stopped that before the when it comes to relationships. Anyway, there's a little bit of reminding us that the four plate door is a thing. And then the city full of books... Which, I mean, I'd love to explore.
0: It does sound like a lot of fun.
1: And then Fella misses a class that's just geometry Fork Kvothe. That's why I think she has a crush on him.
0: I think there's that. And I also think that she does enjoy library hunts in general. Keep in mind, she's a librarian. This is a chance for her to go out of the more well-known areas and to start really delving into some of the lost areas this is a quest for her as much as it is for Quoth.
1: i think she likes the mysteries yeah we do however get a bit of astute observation from Quoth talking about sim he's happy which people see as stupid and i think that that's another way that he's pointing out how people can underestimate others without realizing that he also does the same thing.
0: The title of the book, The Wise Man's Fear, comes from a quote where it says there's three things that all wise men fear. A sea at storm, we're going to get to one of those. A moonless night, we don't really have one of those in this segment, but we do have the anger of a gentle man. And Simon truly is that gentle man. He is gentle, to a fault, but there is also that sense that if you cross him, if you do something that truly angers him, hell hath no fury.
1: Which is a great segue into Davy.
0: Yes. Speaking of hell hath no fury.
1: <laughs> so we get to Davy and the chapter is called Trust. He tells the detail that he stopped at an inn to get a beer because it leads into later on explaining that he also took a little bit of ash from the fire because he inherently does not trust Davy. He doesn't trust anyone, but people have said enough things about Davy now that he isn't just blindly believing that she is not going to hurt him. So he gets to her door, which despite the rain and the wet and everything, the alley she lives in still smells like rancid fat from a rendering plant. And if you have never smelled this before, good for you. Seriously good for you. I lived across the river from a rendering plant in Spokane, Washington. The wind almost never brought it towards us, but on those rare occasions when it did, wow, there was no escaping this. Is so bad. If you think opening raw broccoli in a non-ventilated room is bad. <laughs> Rendering of fat and leather and whatever. Oh, it's so much worse. It just coats your mouth. Moving on.
0: Yeah. Can we just. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. He gets to the door. And when Davy opens it, Quoth clumsily trips and then tries to steady himself on her shoulder, which of course is a classic sleight of hand.
1: Because he steals a hair off of her shoulder or her head or something.
0: And then they exchange pleasantries over a book that Quoth borrowed from her.
1: That's apparently dry, wordy, and boring.
0: So the scholar who wrote the book talks a lot about the theory of proprioception, which is sort of the phantom limb syndrome. And one of the things that Quoth notes is that this guy probably hasn't talked with anyone who actually has had a limb amputated because he's talking about things in ways that no one that Quoth has actually met who's been amputated at the Medica would actually talk about these things. Feels sort of like someone who's just way up their own ash.
1: Also, kind of reminds me of Quoth because. If he would just go talk to people who had expertise, <laughs> he could stop sounding like a dumbass.
0: Yeah, he's also doing a lot of mind reading here. He basically, at this point, is taking it as a given that Davy has been working against him, which leads to some downfall, leads to a few self-fulfilling prophecies.
1: Right. Treat someone like they are going to be a criminal and they are more likely to become a criminal.
0: If you treat someone like they're going to hurt you, you're going to behave in ways that read as hostility towards them, and they will then start being more hostile towards you.
1: Flies, honey.
0: Yeah. So he figures that her motive for any malfeasance would probably be the archives.
1: Access to thereof.
0: And so then he also casually asks her about the plumb bob.
1: And then he thinks that he sees in her eyes that she's got guilt. This may or may not be true. I think it is true. But just the way that the tension in her back and all these things that Quoth claims so much to be able to tell because he was an actor when he was 12 years old.
0: I lived amongst actors.
1: <laughs> I can tell when people are lying to me.
0: And I can tell exactly what they're lying about. And I can tell exactly what the truth of what they're trying to get at is. (laughs) I can read their minds.
1: So he goes on to badger her about, I need to see my blood. I need to see it now. I need to see my blood now, now, now. And she's just like, shove off.
0: Yeah, she knows that there's no purpose in her keeping that stuff in her normal quarters.
1: Right, because she could just as well be murdered in her sleep for it.
0: And she needs to have some sort of way to essentially separate her business from her living situation. She needs to have a back. It's in the back. <laughs> so,
1: after all of the suspicious activity, and Quoth spiraling himself into believing that she's out to get him now, he uses his skill as the best... Sympathist in Doll's class to freeze her in place with the use of a mommet. And oh boy, does this piss her off.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of what happens when you try and stick a cat into a cat carrier to take them to the vet. (laughs) It doesn't go well. Depends on what cat. I mean, even the nicest of cats. Leela. Yeah, Leela, who is a very sweet kitty, when you try to put her into a cat carrier, it is not an easy process. She's squirmy. And she is willful, and she gets angry, and she will let you know about it. And the thing that Quoth keeps forgetting is that he's only the best duelist in Dolls' current class. To say nothing of anyone else, or any prior classes, he assumes that, oh yeah, I can handle anything.
1: That all being said, Davy breaks through and makes for one of her desk drawers, and Quoth assumes, incorrectly, that his blood is being kept in the drawer.
0: As if this is just her biggest thing, she just has to screw with Quoth.
1: And, like, it's big enough to hold all of her client's blood. Yeah. Suffice it to say, she is prepared for people coming to fork Fork. with her. And she pulls out this massive heat source and then just proceeds to break everything that Quoth has done to bind her. And she is royally pissed. To the point where... There will be no more banter. There will be no more anything. There will be no more business relationship. You send someone with my money. If I see you out the corner of my eye, it will not end well for you.
0: Yeah. Quoth takes a spank in here.
1: And then he's dumb enough to say something like, bah, 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 and, oh, I would have crapped my pants.
0: Here's where we also find out that Davy one did not do any of the things that Quoth thought that she did to him. Because, in fact, someone came by trying to buy Quoth's blood for 50 talents and she turned them down. If all Davy truly cared about was money and that she didn't care about her reputation, she didn't care about her ability to do business, if she didn't even care about her clients, this would be a complete betrayal of all of that. And Quoth is completely. Just treated her like crap.
1: There is one little bit where Davey threatens to burn all of his clothes off. And his first thought was that the cloak that Fella had given him would be ruined. And that that made him more upset than the idea of like his skin burning off because of it. And I can kind of see where this impulse is coming from or where this kind of disconnect is coming from. And that's because a couple years ago, we went to Emerald City Comic-Con and I had a drawing done of one of my favorite characters from Questionable Content. The author and artist behind it was at the con and we were working it and uh, and he drew Hanalore for me. And then I was walking to the bus stop with two of my friends, carrying it very nicely. It was just on a regular piece of paper and I didn't want to destroy it and I was very careful about it. And then I tripped. I sprained my ankle and I tripped and I fell. And I was more upset over the crumpling of that piece of paper with the sketch than I was about the fact that I would be trying to make it to the bus on a sprained ankle now. Crowded bus, no one let me sit. And I was still more upset and worried about my sketch than I was about my body.
0: I remember that. I felt so bad for you. Were you with me? No. I had to work that day. I I did feel really terrible about it, though.
1: Yeah, but I think I might have even said to you that the thing that bothered me the most was crumpling the page, which I still have, and it's fine, it's in a frame, but I'm still kind of sad about it.
0: I know. I can get it, though, because those both represented something that had been done by someone personally and Sometimes it's easy to start seeing that as an extension of yourself as opposed to just your physical body and We also know that Kvoth is someone who is not used to people doing things for him because they care for him and so I can see how this one token of genuine affection could mean more to him than his own body
1: Well, after this example of just raw power from Davy, we get to the end of our section, at least the one that I read. So now it is time for our Phronemos.
0: So my Phronemos for this section was originally going to be Sim, but then I realized that most of his activity comes in the next chapter, not really in these prior two. Oh no! (laughs) So I had to reevaluate, and I think this time it's got to go to Fella. So for one thing, we know that Fella is down to help her friend out. She knows that she's in a position to help him in a way that almost nobody else can. She does so in a way that is kind and takes seriously what his situation is. She doesn't try and force him to justify what he's looking for. She doesn't sit there and make him win her over, or convince her to help him. He doesn't have to bargain with her. He doesn't have to cajole her or beg. He just says, hey, I need help. And she says, yes, I'll help you. Here's what we're going to need to do to do this. And she dives into the task, not really worrying about what's in it for me or anything like that. This is just something she's doing for a friend. And yeah, I think maybe she has feelings for him. That's fine. At the same time, it was a very kind thing for her to do. And I think also... Her conversation with Kvothe about Sim is pretty enlightening, too, and this is where Kvothe displays a little bit of extra insight that normally he doesn't, which is to say he sees that Simon, while he doesn't necessarily project the appearance of someone who is worldly and jaded and cynical, he's kind and gentle, but that doesn't mean he's stupid. That doesn't mean he's naive. It means that this is the way he chooses to live. And there's something powerful to that. And I think Fella notices him talk that way, too. Because I think, honestly, Quoth is a little in love with Sim himself. And I think it's one of the things that he actually loves about Fela. Because Fela is that way, too. She is kind. She is gentle and good. And I think this is something that people oftentimes overlook in her and underestimate her, but if anyone would have cause to be jaded, if anyone would have cause to be cynical, if anyone would have cause to be cruel and callous, I mean, considering the way the university works, it would be fella. You know she is like your friend, the distinct minority in terms of how the university demographics work out, she is not someone who comes from extreme wealth and privilege. Fella would have every cause to be jaded and cynical and harsh and unkind. She's dealt with a lot in her life, and we know that she doesn't have a ton of wealth and privilege. She's well enough to do, but she's by no means what you would call ultra-rich. She's not a nobility or from a wealthy merchant family. She does okay for herself, and most of where she is is because of her own intelligence. But she hasn't let that make her callous. There's an element of someone who just wants to be kind to people, who wants to live in a world where people are kind to one another. And I think that that's what will ultimately lead to her and Simmon coming together, because they both share that. And so when Quoth is describing Simmon, He's also kind of describing Fella. I think that there's something to that which I think lends her extra strength and extra wisdom as well. So that's why she's our Fernie most this week.
1: Yay, I like it.
0: All right, so with that out of the way, it's time for you to give us our interesting fact of the week.
1: All right, so I'm not sure how it is in the rest of the world, but at least in the United States, at least when I was growing up, we were taught that we had five senses. Taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound. But the reality is that we have more than just those basic five. One of which, Quoth and Davy mentioned in their discussion about the book that Quoth borrowed. And I thought you were going to go a little further into proprioception. I'm kind of glad you didn't, because that's what my interesting fact is about. All right. I'm pretty sure I've also mentioned it in passing in previous episodes. To give you a little more knowledge about this. The word comes from the Latin for one's own grasp. And it's how you can tell where your body or limbs are in space. This allows you to walk without looking at your feet, type on a keyboard without looking at your hands, or pick up a mug of tea absentmindedly while reading. And it's not just having good muscle memory or remembering exactly where you put your hot beverage in relation to yourself. There are actually specialized receptors in your muscular skeletal system, your skin and your joints that aid in the sense of placement. These include muscle spindles that respond to changes in muscle length and the speed of movement and Golgi tendon organs that send signals to our brains about muscle tension and exertion. There are also mechanical receptors in your skin and joints that respond to stretch and pressure. These mechanisms provide signals to your cerebellum, which helps coordinate things like balance and posture and voluntary movement. I think that Quoth and Davies' book dived more into the phenomenon of phantom limbs rather than your place in the world and how amputees can still feel where their limbs should be based on the placement and movement of the rest of their bodies.
0: So I think... It's a really interesting phenomenon. A lot of people, we still don't understand a lot about it. You know, we don't understand how it's tied into our nervous systems. We don't understand what nerves specifically carry that information. And it's very difficult to figure out how we would figure it out.
1: (laughs) You're specifically talking about the phantom limbs? Yes. I don't know that it's unknown. I think that this is a beginnings of an understanding. So we watched a thing on Corridor Crew earlier today about how people think that the Boston Dynamics dancing robot video is fake. And there was a little part of that where Nico went into how when you make a movement with one arm, your shoulder, your head, your other arm all move in relation, your torso, even your feet. Like if I am gesturing with my hands, I can feel my calf against my other foot as we sit on the floor. So it's all of these micro-movements. And I think that those receptors that we have, if you were to take my arm off at the elbow, my muscles in my bicep would still want to stretch my elbow out. And therefore, I would still think that I could feel my forearm.
0: It's pretty interesting how all of that just works together in our brains. And the brain does a lot of really weird things. Because there's a lot of stuff we still don't fully understand about our own bodies. We don't understand necessarily the link between the conscious and unconscious sides of our brains.
1: One thing that is also interesting to me is that our nervous system does weird things. Not just our brains. I know someone who tore their ACL and had to get surgery. And after that point, if he scratched on the outside of his calf, he felt it on the inside.
0: Oh, weird.
1: Yeah. So... Our sense of touch, pressure, placement in the world can be just such an interesting mix. Like, I know for me, I can navigate our room in the dark just fine. Like, I don't have to turn on lights and disturb your sleep to move the cat onto their food because they've been purring at me all night and that's the sign that I'm too dumb to get up and go get my food. <laughs> Thanks, Leela. Love you too. It's two in the morning. Shut up. Anyway, but I know that you have a harder time navigating your sense of place in the dark.
0: Yeah, I'm more likely to trip and stumble. And part of it is also given that we have a black cat who I am extra paranoid about stepping on.
1: I guess I also walk a little differently. Like I don't lift my knees and then step down. I kind of shuffle and I shuffle more in the night when I don't have the lights on. Because if I don't, that black cat that comes up to my knees will probably make me fall flat on my face. Like he do. Like he do. But that's about knowing where the void is rather than about knowing where yourself is.
0: Anyway, so uh, let's talk about our thing of the week. It's my turn this week. So this time I'm going to recommend the series Lucifer, which is available on Netflix. My general worldview is best described as secular humanist. As far as theism or atheism, I am firmly in the agnostic camp. But really what I care most about is how do we be better people. And the core premise of Lucifer is really built around sympathy for the devil. And the entire cast is filled with a bunch of moral tryhards. And I mean that in the best possible way. It is people who try to do the right thing and fail and then keep trying to do the right thing. And it's that act of getting back up that makes them into better people. The characters that are most likely to be antagonists on the show are the ones who never question their own goodness. Everyone who we think of as a truly good person has had to reckon with their mistakes. We examine all of these characters as they're dealing with problems. Every character in the show is a fallen angel, so to speak. They have all sorts of potential. They have all sorts of things that they want to see about themselves. And they have aspirations that they fail to live up to because the world is complex, people are complex, And we're all forced to make decisions, and sometimes we make decisions we're not proud of. And nobody comes out of this perfect. Nobody comes out of this looking great. All of the characters struggle to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, they all end up having the ability to do the right thing because they take seriously their ability to not let their pasts define them
1: from my own perspective it also has the right balance especially as you go further on in the seasons of that procedural versus character growth kind of mix in the show. I know a lot of people when they first discovered the series and know that it's based off of the graphic novels by Neil Gaiman did not enjoy the fact that he was being put into a police procedural but I mean I love things like Bones And I've watched every single SVU episode, not because I really love them, but because I like the format. And Lucifer brings in that wonderful procedural stuff, but also kind of flips it on its head. And like, if you examine it just a little bit, just a little bit, you're like, how are they having private conversations a half of a foot away from the people that they are talking about? And you could poke all the holes if you wanted to, but it's just fun not to, it's fun to just roll with it. On top of that, the sense of humor, the sexual jokes are just right up my alley.
0: The humor is fantastic within the show. And I think really what makes it work is that there is actual legitimate heart. Every character in that show has the ability to go on a redemptive arc. I mean, the whole thing is about the literal redemption of the devil. So if he can redeem himself, literally anyone can with the right amount of introspection and thoughtfulness. In our culture right now, we're really good at seeing where people are bad, and we're good at holding them accountable. But very rarely do we actually think about what it means for people to grow, and there's this tendency to not want to let people grow. We have a tendency to want to judge them based on their worst day. Lucifer reminds us that nobody should be. Everyone gets held accountable for their actions and for their mistakes. And that's how they grow. That's how they become better than their worst day.
1: But to judge everybody on their worst day, to look at the worst qualities and then assume that that's the entirety of their being.
0: We have a tendency to judge people based on their worst tweet based on something that they said off the cuff, those things may not represent who they are as a person.
1: And also, to judge them on their worst tweet doesn't allow them to grow past it.
0: And there's a point at which holding someone accountable ceases to be holding them accountable and is just beating them up. And it's not letting people grow. It's not letting people actually do the work To say, yes, that tweet caused harm. Yes, that was the wrong thing for me to say.
1: We also live in a society where the apology gets less views than the aggression.
0: And the apology is oftentimes viewed as a cynical act as opposed to a sincere thing.
1: Right, like they were made to apologize. They couldn't possibly actually have grown or thought about it. If you said those things once, that means that you are vilified forever. But that shouldn't be the case.
0: I think what Lucifer really gets at is we have to understand that people can grow. People can change and absolutely hold them accountable because otherwise they won't grow and change. But if we preclude that change ever from happening, they never will. It's just a delightful show. The characters all go on a journey Every character is allowed to be complex and sympathetic. Even characters who are ostensible full-season big-bads have redeeming characteristics to them. It's oftentimes about how do these people find redemption as much as anything else. It's a lot of fun. So now it's time for us to discuss our seven words. So I had seven words from the books here, and there are quite a few in this section.
1: So much orange highlighter.
0: Oh yeah! It's so like in chapter twenty-five, we've got Dahl has been throwing fear into you. Good little bit about slippage from Kilpin. We've also got Quoth talking to Sleet, and Quoth and Sleet have a lot of seven-word sentences between them, such as "I was wondering if we could talk," and "This is a bit of a surprise." Then we've got "They walk on eggshells, meek as priests." Then we have. Actually, I don't. What do people say? For most men, this isn't a bother. I have built mine brick by brick. Then we have, what do they say about me then? Followed by, immediately, tell me and I'll return the favor. And then we've got the one that I actually think is the best one. Details are the bones of the story.
1: Yeah, I was wondering if that would be a thing you said, because if you didn't, I was going to say it.
0: I mean, there's others on here as well. There's, I was actually innocent of that one. <laughs> then we have, it was good weather for a whipping.
1: There's also, that is the very definition of poaching, followed directly by Davey has an ongoing interest in you.
0: <laughs> also, I haven't heard anyone mention grave robbing.
1: One that I would have chosen? Wisdom is a luxury I can't afford.
0: Yeah, I had that one as well, but I really do think it has to be details are the bones of a story.
1: I love that, and I think that that's a great example of Patrick Rothfuss's writing style.
0: Those details serve to act as the things that flesh it out, and they're also the elements of misdirection that allow you to be surprised. So we'll use that one.
1: Yes. I like it.
0: So how about you? What do you have?
1: So my seven words from life came from me searching around for word art of all things so that I could make this quarters poster, which I'm in the middle of right now as we record this. And that poster was seven words from the book from like episode 10. And it was, may all your stories be glad ones. And there are sneak peeks. On our Instagram account, if you would like to see what they are, and then you can sign up for that tier on Patreon and get all of the posters I have made so far, which is currently three, two of which are the seven words and one of which is a thank you gift for just signing up for the Patreon. But my seven words from life this time around, finished products only tell half the story.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. It's sort of the duck on water thing where you see the duck, the finished product, so to speak, floating on a pond, and they seem absolutely serene, but you have no idea how much work they're going into to their movement. Like, their legs are working furiously underneath the surface.
1: I mean, I would have gone with the glacier analogy, but sure, we'll, we'll talk about ducks.
0: I mean, why not talk about ducks?
1: But it is... Applicable for me for right now, because I am going through a lot of preparing for this poster, doing all of my sketches, doing all of my work to get to the point where I can make a finished product. And it takes a lot longer for me to do all the kind of previs stuff than it does to make the final version. Same thing with our episodes. Right now on my recorder, we are at an hour and 27 minutes. If you look at the point where you are in the show, I can almost guarantee you it is before an hour has gone through. It might be a little bit more than that because we've gotten a lot better about not having a whole bunch of just pauses and ums in the year and a half that we've been doing this. But I get rid of so much like flubs and problems and whatnot from all of these episodes, and you don't see any of that work in the final product, a lot of work goes into everything you love. A lot of things get left on the cutting room floor. A lot of things get cut for time or cut for clarity. And I think it's a mark of how much the creators care about their audience, about the people who enjoy their work, that they would put so much more work into a thing than what comes out the other end. It's kind of like, how do you sculpt an elephant? You get rid of all of the stone that isn't an elephant.
0: It takes a lot to do. And, you know, you put a lot of work into this podcast. I put a lot of work into this podcast. And, you know, authors put so much effort into putting out books that we love. The finished books that we're reading right now are... A fraction of the length of the manuscripts that have initially been written, that are revised and edited, and all of that is painstaking work. And at the end of the day, you can only be thankful that they do that and react with a little bit of awe and respect for it.
1: Well, with that, I'd like to thank you for potting with me.
0: And thank you for potting with me. And thanks for listening to Tales from the Waystone. Join us next time on Tales from the Waystone as we cover chapters 27 through 29 of The Wise Man's Fear through the lens of the thrill of the hunt.
1: We would like to thank our friend Shawnee Jang for our theme music.
0: And many thanks to Patrick Rothfuss for creating a world that we've enjoyed exploring.
1: Audio production, editing, and social media coordination, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough.
0: And writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough.
1: If you would like to help support us and have the means to do so, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page, patreon.com waystonepod, where you can get early access to the show, our show notes, Patreon-only bonus pods, we just released one, things like posters and other art, specifically from me, and other exciting items.
0: And as always, here's to one more day above the roses.
1: To one more day above the roses. Ding! Ding. God, I just lost it at the end. (laughs) It's
0: okay. would be a real shame to get into all of this and not record anything.
1: Oh God, just we've only made that mistake like
0: twice maybe, maybe. look
1: at the recorder and go off
0: oh. fork.